0: Good morning. Good to see you guys here this morning and today as we continue in our series in 1st John. So if you have your Bibles, let's go to 1st John chapter 3. 1st uh, John 3, I'm actually going to start at the end of chapter 2, but if you uh, you are brand new, or uh, maybe this is the first time you've been here. We're in a sermon series over the last several weeks, going through the book of First John, and so uh, excited about that. As you're turning there, a couple of updates. First of all, uh, this past uh, week, as the video just uh, announced to us, the student camp was uh, at the beach. They call it coastal, and man, it was an incredible week. And so, um, I know teenagers get a bad rap, and you know sometimes you know you look at them and you're like, man, this is the problem with the world. But I'm telling you. For an entire week, we saw students going after God like uh, we don't see adults. <laughs> we've seen kids worshiping. We've seen them in small groups. We've seen them connecting during sermons and messages and all of these uh, different activities that they were able to be a part of and just going after God. And so um, it was such an incredible week. And, and I'm sure when they come home, if you're one of their parents and you're like, hey, so tell me about it, Sometimes you might get, you know, short responses, but I'm just telling you, man, God was moving and I'm, I'm just grateful to be a part of a church that really truly believes and models the next gen matters. And uh, Pastor Landon and his entire team have just done an incredible job. And, and so if you know other parents that have teenagers, uh, it's part of our role. We, we've got to get them engaged in this ministry because I honestly, I've got four teenagers right now. Help me, Jesus. Um, I don't know how I would make it without this team and without this church and without what the the ministries that this church has for our teenagers. And so every student in this city needs what this church has and the godly leaders that are that are invested. And I could talk about that all day, but I'm just so proud of what God is doing and thankful for what God is doing. A couple other things. So the mobile unit that's in the back, we're going to use that for kids space and we're going to open that up next week. It's taking a couple of weeks because blah, 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 you know, permits, blah, blah, whatever. And so next Sunday, that's going to finally be open. And then as far as the kids space being renovated, Things are going well. You're seeing some stuff out and back and that's great. And inside is second floor is, is, is getting uh, framed out and we're still on pace for an August, uh, September uh, open date, which is gonna be just in time as everybody continues to come back to church and school is back in session. Uh, it's gonna be a great, great season for us as a church. So I'm super, super excited about that. Um, how many of you guys are parents in the room? Parents in the room. All right, you will remember this. Think back to when your child was born, or maybe you know, if you're a little bit older, maybe your grandchild, it will be a little bit easier to remember that. Um, when that baby first comes home and, and you invite your family and your friends over to see this beautiful little baby, what's the first thing you start to hear out of their mouth? Think about that. First thing you start to hear is, oh my goodness, he's got his mama's hair, right? Or, oh my gosh, he looks just like his daddy, right? You like the high voice, by the way? Been working that on all morning. Uh, We start to immediately see the resemblance, don't we? We start to look for the ways that our grandkids and our kids look like, you know, their mom, their dad, their grandparents, their uncle, their whatever, right? And then as they get older, what do our kids do? Well, you start to notice that a lot of them tend to look a lot like you you know they favor you they resemble you there's a family likeness you know they're walking down the hallway and you're like I can tell that's a steward or I can tell that's a you know whoever and and, and the reason is because kids tend to resemble their parents right and, and that's just kind of a natural thing and then uh, not only their appearance but they also start to talk like us which is kind of scary but they do they they have the same accents as us, you know. Whether you say syrup or syrup, uh, they're gonna emulate however you say it. We can we can go back and forth on the proper way of how to say words, but your kids are gonna kind of follow your model. They're gonna start acting like you. They're gonna start to resemble you in how they live their life. And and then as you get to you know a little bit older, like in my age, like now that I'm a parent, you know, and I've got teenagers. If you're like in your 40s and 50s, you start to hear yourself say things and what do you say? Oh my gosh, I sound just like my dad, you know? Or, or oh, that's exactly what my mom always used to say and maybe that's a good thing, maybe that's not so good, I don't know. But we tend to resemble parents, right? In the way that we look, and the way that we talk, and the way that we act. And, and so what first John is gonna talk to us about today is John is gonna remind us that we are children of God. And he's gonna remind us that as a child of God, we are to resemble our father. We are to speak like him, act like him and begin to resemble the family likeness, right? And so we're gonna look at this chapter. It's gonna be a great reminder, but it also might be a, a, a challenging passage of scripture as we think through our own salvation this morning. But let's start in chapter two, verse Uh, 26, 27, 28. Then we'll get into chapter three, where Pastor Taylor left off last week. And didn't he do such a great job last Sunday? He did awesome. Glad that he stepped in. Here we go. Verse 26. John says, "I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you." So remember, he's writing this letter to the churches because there were leaders that were trying to deceive people, and they were trying to teach a false gospel, and they were teaching some things that just weren't true. And so. He's writing these things so that we might know. That's why the title of the series is We Can Know. And so verse 27, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you. So the anointing of the Holy Spirit. If you're a child of God, if you've given your life to Christ, the anointing of the Holy Spirit is upon you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. In other words, the Spirit is in you teaching you, right? Teaching is good. We need that. That's why we're here today. And at the same time, We can pick up our Bible anytime, read the words of God and the spirit is going to teach you. You don't have to have me, right? And so then he says, but as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it is taught you, abide in him. Verse 28, and now little children, abide in him. Same word, using it twice here. So that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Several things happening here. He says, abide in him. Now the word or the phrase abide in him means that we're gonna have an ongoing relationship with Christ, right? We are are developing that relationship. We are learning more about him, but we're also applying what we have learned we're, we're, we're in a, 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 an ongoing conversation with God. It's a, it's a prayer life. We're in the word of God. We are praying with God. Instead of worry, we are talking to Jesus. Instead of fear, we are walking with Jesus. And so uh, this past week, as I, was, uh, I got to speak to the students a couple times, and, and, and one of the messages I was trying to explain to them that there is a huge difference between knowledge and experience. There's a huge gap between the two. Because, you know, many of you have been in church for a long time. You've heard a lot of messages. You've read the Bible. You, you know a lot of information about God. But until that information is transitioned into an actual relationship with Jesus, then you're not going to change. So you can hear message after mes- message. You can know scripture, you can have it memorized, you can know theology, you can know about God, you can know about the Bible, but just knowledge alone is not gonna change your life. It's not gonna help you overcome anxiety, it's not gonna help you overcome fear. You know, what we need is we actually need an experience with the truth of the gospel, which means we apply it and we have an ongoing relationship with Jesus as you walk with him, talk with him. That's what changes us. And that's what John is saying here, abide in him. So that he says, when he appears, you're ready. Now, when he says when he appears, he's talking about the second coming of Christ. The first coming of Christ, he comes as a baby. He's born in Bethlehem. He comes in a very humble manner. He comes as a servant. He grows physically just like us. He faces temptations uh, just like us. Uh, and, and, And he submits to the will of the Father. Uh, He disciples 12 men, Uh, he ministers to people, he teaches people, he has this incredible ministry. And all of that leads up to his ultimate mission and goal, which is to die on the cross to pay for our sins. So he dies on the cross, but that's not the end of the story. He then on the third day raises from the grave, proving that he was the son of God. He appears to over 500 people. He's in a glorified body, which we'll talk about in just a minute. And that was his first coming. And so to know Jesus is to know forgiveness, is to know that he paid for your sin on the cross. When you turn from your sin, when you give your life to Jesus, he then saves you, gives you the gift of eternal life. That's his first coming. His second coming, Jesus is not coming to save the world. His second coming, Jesus is coming to judge the world. And so when he comes this second time, he will be taking all of those who are his children, all of those who are Christians, who have faith in Jesus, who are following Jesus. And he is taking those who are alive to be with him in heaven forever. Those that have died and have gone on before us will then be raised and they'll get a resurrected body too. We'll all be united and we will be in eternal life in heaven with Jesus forever. And so John is saying, think about that day. Don't just like think about it on Sunday every now and then. No, he's saying, think about it. And not only do we need to think about that day, but we need to live our life in such a way that we are preparing for that day. So when he appears, I would ask you today, are you ready for that day? Are you ready for Jesus to come again? Are you the guy that is like, ah, I'm, I'm living a pretty good life. You know, I don't, I don't really want him to come yet. Let's wait. Or are you the guy that's like, you know, I really, would, I really wanna kinda get my life together. I need to you know, get some things in line and then I'll be ready. No, John says, get ready now. When he appears again, be ready. He's coming again. He's coming to judge the world. And if you are not ready, it will be too late. And it'll be like a kid who gets caught doing something wrong. They're surprised by Mom or Dad walking into the room and catching them, and John says it's like that person will, will shrink in shame. So he says, "Be ready. Be ready when he comes, because when he comes, you don't want to shrink in shame when he shows up. You don't want to be like that little kid who's doing something wrong or you're a teenager doing something wrong and your dad sees you, and you get caught doing something wrong, and you're like, ah! Oh, now you're ashamed, and now you're guilty because you weren't ready. I remember when my kids were little. I've got four kids, and um, two of them, Brooke and Bryson, were upstairs playing in what we call the playroom. I was downstairs watching TV, and I could hear them laughing and you know cackling, and, and uh, then I started you know hearing them pitter pat. You know they were four or five years old. They were you know their little feet were running down the hallway into the bathroom, and then they were running back to the playroom and laughing, and, and, and so it's like, you know, that's cute, and so I'm just watching TV, and and that just kind of continued until it was like, started to get really loud, and they were really kind of laughing really loud, and you know, as a parent, you kind of get to a point, you're like, they're having too much fun, they're up to something, <laughs> you know? And so I was like, I gotta go check on them. So I go upstairs into the playroom to find Brooke is sitting on the floor, a carpeted room, mind you. And my son has, you know, when you go to UT game and you get a Coke and you know, they're pretty large, you know, cups, right? Plastic cups. He had a cup, it was filled with water and he was pouring that cup of water on her head. She was literally drenched from head to toe, right? The carpet is soaking wet. Bryson was soaking wet. They were taking turns dumping water on each other. And of course, I walk into the room and I just very calmly, because I'm a godly man. (laughs) No, I freaked. I said, what are you doing? You know, they were caught in their shame. They turned to look at me. Their faces turn red. Their eyes are bulging out. They realize that what we are doing is wrong. And then I go into explaining to them why it's wrong, right? And then my son says, well, dad, I got a towel on the floor. <laughs> That's sopping wet and the carpet is sopping wet. That's not good enough, right? And so John is reminding us it's it's kind of like that. It's kind of like the kid that gets caught living wrong. He says, don't be like that. Prepare now because he could come at any moment. Right? I know we're all waiting for the signs and we want to see all these signs and the end times and Israel's fighting again. And, and so we all kind of turn our attention to Israel again. And you know, it's like, oh, is this, what is this? Is this in times? And I'm just telling you that it could be at any moment. It could be at any moment. And so we don't want to get into saying, okay, this is it. Or, you know, circling all these numbers and trying to get up. Jesus says, you're not gonna know the exact day or time, but you can kind of look at the landscape and then you can kind of tell. And we can look at the landscape today and say pretty much, Many of the prophecies have been fulfilled. We're waiting for a couple, a few more, but it, those could be fulfilled tomorrow. They could be fulfilled tonight. And so we, we have to be ready. Don't, don't be living your life in such a way that you are not prepared. And so he says, when we, when we come to this moment, we wanna be ready. We don't wanna be caught in shame, right? And so then he kind of shifts into chapter three to begin to talk about what being ready looks like pursuing righteousness and not making sin a practice. So here's what he says in chapter three. He says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us. Man, think about the kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Hallelujah. Because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he, Jesus, is pure. So he starts by saying, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. Some translations say, see how much the love of the Father has lavished upon us, that we should be called children of God. Now let's just be reminded today that no one is born a Christian. Nobody is ever just born a Christian. So just because your mama loved Jesus and is going to heaven doesn't mean you are. We are not born Christians. You are born with brown hair, blonde hair, black hair, you're born with brown eyes, you might be born left-handed or right-handed, but you are not born a Christian. In fact, the Bible specifically says that you are born spiritually dead. And so we are enemies of God because of our sin. And Jesus says to be saved, you need to be reborn. You need to be born spiritually. And that means we are adopted into God's family. And this amazing love that he has given to us cannot be bought, it cannot be earned. You cannot do enough good work to receive it or to deserve it. This love is a gift that God gives to you and to I. It's an opportunity for you to experience his love. And and, and we know that Jesus is dying on the cross for our sins. He's paying for our sins while we are sinners. Think about that. Now, when somebody uh, encourages you, loves on you, maybe gives you gifts, talks well about you, you're prone to, to like wanna like them, right? People that encourage you are likable people. Like we just like, yeah, that's a good guy. All of a sudden that guy is a good guy. You know, that's, she's, she's awesome because why? She complimented you or she consistently, he consistently encourages you. But what do you do with people that talk bad about you? Well, like, he's not a very good person, <laughs> right? We, we don't tend to like those people that talk negatively about us. Now think about God's perspective here. We are not good people, we're sinful people. We rebelled against him. And yet he sets his love upon us. He pursues us and seeks us. Even when we aren't running after him, he is running after you. And as he does that, he sets his love upon you. He sets his grace upon you. And if you've given your life to Jesus, you have faith in Christ, that means that he has saved you. And now when that moment happens, you become a child of God. You are reborn. You are given a brand new life. The spirit of God lives in you. You are a son of the most high King. You are a daughter of the most high King. And when you understand that, That has implications that transforms the way that you think about everything. Now, when I know that I'm a son of God, I am in the family of God, now I know that my father will always take care of me. I know that he's never gonna leave me. I know that no matter what I am going through, even though I might not understand it, I am a son of God. He cares and loves and will walk me through that situation, right? That changes everything about how you view yourself, how you view your appearance, how you view your purpose, how you view how you're gonna live your life, what, what your role is, guys, as a man of God, as a, as a husband, as a leader of your family. It changes everything, why? Because I am a part of the family of God. He has set his love upon you. You are a son, you are a daughter of God. And a part of the family means that what? Now I start to resemble my dad. I start to talk like him. I start to act like him. I start to live my life the way that he lived his life, right? The resemblance starts to happen. And that's huge for us. He says, he says in verse two, when he appears, we shall be like him. Now again, when he appears, his second coming, we shall be like like him, at the second coming of Christ, we all get a brand new glorified body. Now, that means, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna tend to look the same, we believe, because Jesus' glorified body, they could tell that he was Jesus. So physically, you know, we're gonna have some, you know, facially, you know, we're gonna be recognizable, but we're not gonna have all those wrinkles. We're not gonna have all that pain. We're not gonna have all that frustration. We're not gonna have any anxiety, you're not gonna have any fear, your body's not gonna be hurting anymore, right? All of the things that happen to us as we get older in age, all of that's gone, brand new body, just like Jesus, and we shall be like Him. No more health issues, no more pain, no more confusion in life. We're confused oftentimes, aren't we? We're confused, why? Why is this happening? Why, why, is, why is it this happening? Because we live in a broken world and this broken world is filled with sin and that brings frustration and chaos and that leads to anxiety and worry and all of the issues and problems that we've experienced, especially over the last couple of years. And as we face this, we say, okay, one day all that will be gone. One day I will see Jesus again. One day I will be like him. In verse two, look at Again, he says, we shall see him as he is. One day in eternity, for those that follow Jesus today, you will see Jesus as he is. Now think about that for a minute. Like when when I think about heaven, and I think we should think about heaven. Think about heaven and live in light of heaven. Live your life today in light of that eternity because that is Millions of years versus however short a time we have in this life. And, and so when we think about heaven, there are a lot of great things about it, right? And, and, and so we think about the people that have died and that we're gonna be reunited with in heaven. It's gonna be a, a, a glorious reunion. It's gonna be a, a lot of excitement, a lot of joy in that time. I literally, I, I cannot wait to meet my mom in heaven one day. Um, this, this past May, is uh, three years that she, she died. And so it's always hard. And I can't wait to embrace her. I can't wait to see her smile again. And that's gonna be a day that I, I just long for. But the thing that's gonna make heaven glorious and amazing is not all the reunions. Those are gonna be amazing. But, but the thing that makes heaven heaven it is not gonna just be the glorified body, which is gonna be our uh, streets of gold, fantastic, All of these things, uh, you know, really hard for us to grasp how glorious and amazing it's gonna be. But the thing, the thing that's gonna make heaven glorious and amazing is that Jesus is there. He's gonna be there. And you're gonna see him as he is. All the hurt, emptiness, confusion, pain, struggle is gone when you see Jesus face to face. That's gonna be amazing. We think about that's what life is gonna be for eons and millions of years and eternity to see him as he is. And he says, when we live in light of that, we have a hope. Look at verse two again. We have hope in him. I'm sorry, verse three, because he himself purifies us. He is pure. He, he has pure, he, he is pure And when we resemble him, when we come to faith in him, he purifies us. And so John tells us we're a son, we're a daughter of God. We are in the family of God. And so in light of our future destiny, now he wants us to get busy to live our present calling. He wants us to live in righteousness as we await his return. And so this is what four through 10 is as we wrap up today is all about the practical side of now what this means for us. He says, everyone who makes a practice of sinning, circle that in your Bible, also practices lawlessness. And he clarifies sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared, Jesus appeared in order to take away sins. That's why he came to take away your sins. And in him, there is no sin. Jesus was perfect, sinless life. No one who abides in him, look at this, keeps on Sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or knows him. Little children, he says, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning, there it is again, uh, is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And the reason, of the, the, reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes, here it is again, makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, the power of the Holy Spirit is in us. He cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Verse 10, by this it is evident. In other words, this is how we know if you're a child of God or a child of the devil. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Hmm. So a lot of things happening here. False teachers in the church were obviously teaching a gospel that was saying, look, you you can know Jesus and go to heaven, have your sins forgiven, but then live however you want to. Teachers were coming into the church saying, hey, you can have whatever inappropriate sexual relationship you want, you can do whatever, you can cheat, lie, steal, you can do all that stuff, just pray this prayer, just know this, say you believe this and you're going to heaven. Now that was a problem back then, and honestly, it's still a problem today, is it not? There's a lot of people that want that kind of religion, they want that kind of Christianity. I said a prayer when I was a kid, that means I'm going to heaven. No, I believe in Jesus, So that means I'm going to heaven. Well, you know, the devil believes in Jesus too, right? Demons believe in Jesus, they ain't going to heaven. (laughs) And so there's a difference, right? There's more to the story than just saying a prayer and then, oh yeah, I'm going to heaven and then go out and live however you want to. This is the point I think of what he's saying as a follower of Christ, he's calling us to live righteously. And that's the difference between a child of God and a child of, of the devil. The, the, the ones who live righteously are children of God. And then he says, look, at, let's, let's go back to verse six. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. Now, when I read that, I think, well, wait a minute. Does that mean Christians can't sin? Because he clearly says, if you abide in, in him, in Christ, you can't keep on sinning. So what's he mean here? Does, does he mean that as a Christian, we're supposed to live perfectly. Does it mean that we, we can get rid of all sin in our life and we can live this perfect life and, and, and be this you know, holy, you got the halo, perfect halo around you, holy person? It, it's just not simply what the Bible's teaching. It's not his point here. Anyone that would believe that, hey, you can reach perfection uh, or anyone that would believe that you can lose your salvation, because that's kind of tied into this, all kind of have a very low view of sin. Uh, think about what maybe you've grew up in or what you heard. Like sometimes people, you know, you know you're, you're not a Christian, you're, you lost your, your salvation if you did this sin, this sin, this sin, there's usually about six or seven sins. You know, sexual sin, drinking, not wearing the right clothes or saying the right thing or not going to the right place or going to the wrong place. It's like six or seven, Like main, so there's like categories and so, if you're doing these six or seven categories of sin, then you aren't a Christian and you you're, you're keep on sinning. But what about pride? What, what about not serving and loving your neighbor? What about you know, not loving the Lord your God with all your heart, heart, mind, soul, and strength? You see, when we look at sin in categories, sure, you can overcome some sin. There's some places you won't go and things that you won't do anymore, but you're always going to be wrestling with pride. You're always gonna be wrestling with with certain sins in your life because you are never going to overcome all of your sin. Hopefully the direction of your life is becoming more and more like Christ, resembling your father more and more in attitude and action. But there are some things that you're just gonna struggle with And that's the key, I think, as he talks about practicing sin. In verse nine, he clarifies himself of what he's actually saying. No one born of God makes a practice of sin. And so that's the issue, really. Have you made sin a practice? Because when you're a child of God, your attitude towards sin changes. Some people in the room are willingly, habitually seeking out sin in their life. They want to sin. They're looking for girls to be with. They're looking for places to you know, go that are ungodly and unhealthy. They are actively pursuing sinful actions. And so that is a practice of sin. And that's the difference. Are you convicted by that sin? Do you have remorse for sin in your life? Because a child of God is now moving in the direction of confession, moving in the direction of overcoming, struggling with, fighting against sin in our life. We don't make sin a practice. In other words, it doesn't become a habit. So practically what that means is when I say something inappropriate, I apologize and I confess to God. When I recognize God makes me aware of a sin in my life, am I quick to say, whoa, 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 God, forgive me. I admit that, that what I did was wrong. And if I hurt some other people in the process, I'm willing to go to them and say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? That's what becoming more and more like your father looks like. You're quick to apologize. You're quick to repent. You're quick to confess your sin as we think about children resembling their parents, I ask you, who do you look like today? Who are you resembling more in your life? Is it Jesus or is it the devil? He says in verse 10, this, by this it is evident who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. So children of God, practice righteousness, pursue righteousness righteousness, look like, act like, are striving to become more like Christ. And the one who does not love his brother, the one who is not pursuing righteousness, he says, is actually a child of the devil. So what father do you resemble today? What's your life looking like? Is it looking like repentance, asking for forgiveness, Confession, pursuing righteousness in your life, seeking Jesus in prayer, word of God, ministry, serving him, or is it filled with actively pursuing sin? And I think that's the difference. You're never gonna be perfect. He's not asking for perfection here at all. But if it's true that kids resemble their parents, you are resembling your father today. And you need to take a hard look at that because some of you are banking on a prayer or banking on a belief that has not changed your life. And it's important for us to be honest with ourselves in this moment. I think as a Christian, when you you sin and God makes you aware of that sin, there is a burden, there is a conviction and if you've gotten to the point to where you can, you can engage in that sin and you don't feel conviction, then, then I would question where, where I'm at with God. I would ask God, God, your word says this. When I do it, when I, when, when I pursue that, when I engage in that sin, I, I don't feel any remorse or conviction. I think that's, an, that's gonna be an issue and a problem that only you can resolve. I can't see that, I can't feel what you feel. Your wife can't feel what you feel on that. But there might be a reason why you're not feeling that conviction. Have you really given your life to Jesus? Are you really pursuing righteousness? Maybe today it is God saying, yes, yes, right there. That's the change that you need to make. What father do you resemble? And then as we talk about this, then the other side of the coin is this. How holy do we need to be to be convinced that we are pursuing righteousness. Because on one side, you've got this permissive person who's like, oh yeah, you can do that. It's no big deal, just ask God for forgiveness, you'll be good to go, right? And then the other side, you have this very strict, holier, self-righteous side that we lean towards. That's just like, oh, you do that, you're not a Christian. You do that, how can you call yourself holy? So how, how holy is holy enough to say, okay, God, I trust that I'm saved. I trust that you have made me a child of God. And I think the point is, are you accepting sin in your life? Has it become habit? Has it become your lifestyle? Or is your life truly pointing in the direction of quick to repent, quick to apologize, quick to confess? And are you pursuing righteous living living the right way that God calls us to live in your life. And I think we have to be honest with that. You're never gonna be perfect, but we do need to pursue this. And that's what God's children do. We look more and more like Christ. I like what John Calvin says. He says, righteousness is not merely buried in your heart. So in other words, it's not just knowledge. It's not just, oh, I'm holy, oh, I know this about God and I know this about Jesus and about the Bible and I've got all this information and I've buried all this in my heart. I am so holy and I am so righteous. No, he says, when that hits your heart, true righteousness is gonna occupy your feet. It's gonna occupy your hands, your eyes and your tongue. So when you're pursuing righteousness, it's gonna move your feet and to serving in ministry to others. When you're pursuing righteousness, it's gonna move your hands to serve and to help others. It's gonna pursue, it's gonna be you pursuing with your eyes the things that are holy, the things that are eternal, right? Setting your eyes on things above and it changes your language, what you talk about. Changes how you talk, right? What you talk about. And so I think he's right. I think he's on to something here. We're sons and daughters of God. We seek to practice righteousness. That means we're fighting sin. We're hating sin in our life. We're weeding that sin out. Are you in that battle? Are you in that struggle? Because at the end of the day, I could sum everything up today with this phrase. Like when you meet God, you start to look more like Jesus. So when you look at your life in 2020, 2021, 20, in the last year, has God changed you in any way? Do you look back and say, oh man, I've grown in this area or that area. I used to struggle with this, now I don't. Or is it pretty much the same? I think it's important that we are able to look back and, and, and see some areas where there's growth. Because when you are a child of God, your character changes. You start to think differently differently. Your desires begin to change. Your actions change. You love your brother. how so he closes out verse 10, there is a love for your brother. There's a love for God's people. You want to come to church. You want to be in small group. You want to be in relationships. You want to study your Bible. You want to talk to God. You want to talk to your brothers and sisters in Christ about their relationship with Jesus. What are you learning? How can I learn that? Can we serve together? Let's love together. Let's worship together. That's what the family does. We resemble each other. We love each other and we grow and become more like our father. Now, I want to apply this today. Other, outside of everything I've already said, in a way that um, God's just kind of laid on our church and, really some things that God's been doing. And so for, if we're seeking to pursue righteousness, we're seeking to love our brother. Our theme this year is make it count. And we've been talking about make it count all year. And one from Matthew 25, Jesus says these seven areas you're gonna, you know, you're, you're, gonna, you're gonna be a part of in some way as a Christian. And one of those ways is loving strangers, right? Remember Jesus said, you know, He's gonna reward those who love strangers. And we're gonna say, when did, we reward, when did we know we saw you? And he said, when you did it to one of the least of these, you did it unto me. And, and so in light of that, we, we do a lot of ministry with adoption and foster care uh, uh, through our church. And because of that, the state of Tennessee, Bill Lee, he's the governor, is doing this whole initiative for our state. And uh, they called us up one day and they said, this is what we wanna do as a state. We've got an issue, we've got a problem with this in our state and we need to do something about it. And so we're reaching out to you guys because you're doing some great work already. And we want you guys to be a champion church for this new initiative uh, for adoption of foster care in the state of Tennessee. And so we said, absolutely, we'd love to. And so uh, that's just kicking off now and and, uh, we're getting more and more uh, information about what what that's gonna look like. We'll be sharing with that over the coming weeks. Um, And at the same time, we're already kind of, we're already doing ministry and and we're already engaged in this. And and so my encouragement for you, for everybody is to pause and to think and to ask God if this is a ministry that he might call you to serve in. Would God lay on your heart to foster a family, a, a child, Would God lay on your heart to adopt? Because here's some statistics that are happening in our state right now. Right now, there are almost 1,000 kids in foster care just in Blount County and Knox County. So 1,000 kids are currently in foster families just in these two counties right now. 8,000 kids in foster care in Tennessee, right? 350 kids are available for adoption in Tennessee right now. There are 1,200 kids in need of a foster care family in Tennessee right now. So there's 1,200 kids, right, that need a place to go. And so when mom and dad get in some kind of crisis, right, police are involved, something's happening, right, they have to go deal with that, maybe, maybe jail time and all that. so what happens to this child or multiple kids? I mean, I don't know about you, but when you think about that, you think, okay, well, somebody needs to do something. And then you think, well, who in the world is gonna do anything outside of the family of God, right? And do it well. And what these kids need is they need a godly um, mom, dad, who would welcome them as a stranger and share the love of Christ. These kids, you know, could come to faith in Christ and, and could transform their entire life by being a part of, of, of maybe, maybe it would be a weekend or maybe it'd be uh, a couple of weeks. Sometimes it even turns into potentially being able to adopt. The goal is always to restore with mom and dad, restore and reconcile and get them with mom and dad. But sometimes that just can't happen. And so there's a need, there's a need out there. And, and some of you, I I believe God's just going to lay on your heart that, you know, that's just the ministry that, you, you need to be a part of and you need to pursue righteousness and pursue loving your brother in that way. Now, some of you might say, we're not in a position to do that right now and we're gonna ask God and pray about it. And He might say, yep, not now. But that doesn't mean that you couldn't still be a part of this kind of ministry because what this ministry does really is, yeah, you might have kids physically in your home and you're engaged in that, but these families, they need other people to help them out. And so they need small groups of people just like us to be able to send them gift cards, maybe diapers one week, you know, maybe just encouragement. They need prayer. They need to be energized and pepped up because it's not easy work. It's not easy ministry. And so they need support around them. And so I just think it's important that as a church, we see the needs of culture and society around us. And this is just one of those needs. And uh, I wanna encourage us as a church to step into this, lean into this and, and sincerely ask God if he would call you to be a part of it. Now, we're gonna close today with a story of a family that's actually doing this. And so the Reed family, has uh, they, they, they've been fostering and they've even adopted and their story is super encouraging. And so I wanted you guys to hear that today and be encouraged by them. So guys, let's go ahead and play this video.
1: Foster care and adoption was something that has always been kind of on my mind or on my heart, something that I felt um, maybe a little prodding towards, but I wasn't really sure what it looked like for us, and I mentioned to him a couple times and wasn't really sure where we were going with it, and I just started praying that if it was something that God would want us to do, that Ryan would lead it, and he would come to me and not long after I had been praying, he came and he was sitting here at the table and said, So I've been thinking
2: about foster care. In my job as a fireman, I started going into these houses on a routine basis. And I would see these children in toxic environments. And I'd be dealing with um, a set of parents over here who had overdosed. And then I would look over to the other side and there would be the children. And that's when I came home and I told her, I was like, You know, I'm. I really think we should start doing foster care for this reason. I would say that fostering and adopting is hard. It's hard work. It's a day in, day out struggle. It is a bring you to your knees and ask God for help. Um, You can't do it on your own. Um, But the need is so great. And one thing that has truly been amazing and I told her when we got the phone call, I said, we're, we're not doing this alone. We have a huge, well, not only do we have our family support, but we have all the support of Foothills Hills Church. And, and, you know, as soon as we text our friends, hey, we accepted a, a new baby from the NICU, there was a meal train set up. I mean, we had people that we didn't know bringing us meals. We had uh, small groups. So the importance of small groups, we talk about it all the time. Pastor Trent talks about it all the time how vital it is to get involved in a small group. They gave us gift cards, people brought us clothing, Uh, people in other small groups that we didn't even know. They were sending us things, and so we really do have a huge support network, so you're not doing it on your own.
1: You know, the the struggles of foster care are hard, dealing with um, behaviors and trauma, and there's so much in it that is hard. But when you look back and you and you see how far God brought you through the process, you get to see His faithfulness and His goodness, and it becomes about His glory and not yours. Because I think sometimes we go to foster care, like, well, we're going to change, you know, we're going to change it for the better. Well, you are, but it's not about us, it's about Him and pointing these kids to the hope that is eternal. And that's what I have to remind myself in the hard days. Um, that. Pointing them to Christ and stepping into it with them and loving them through it all is, um, is, is what God wants
2: us to do. When people ask me how do I do it, I laughingly say, Jesus. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest, Jesus is the only way you can do this. Uh, Jesus in, in working in me, but also I get to see Jesus in these kids. And so, you know, we had talked about this is that, you know, we, we adopted two children who may or may not have ever known who Jesus was. And now we have these two children able to grow up in our home, and they go to church with us, and they sing the songs that they hear. Um, They talk about Jesus, and so that's a practical way that we were able to show our faith and and send that down to the next generation.
1: Thank you for listening to this sermon from Foothills Church. If you made a decision to follow Christ while listening today, or if you have some more questions about what that looks like, then let us know. You can text Decision to 97000, or you can head over to foothillschurch.com slash decision. We hope you have a great week.